You're listening to Sarah Hagen backstage with interviews and insights from years inside the music industry. Join Sarah as she talks with masters of their crafts, finding out what makes them tick both inside and outside of the music business. This week, Sarah talks with Elan Rubin. Welcome to Sarah Hagen backstage. My guest today, Elan Rubin, is a longtime friend of mine and someone that I just have a ton of respect for. Elan is a multi-instrumentalist, playing drums and a host of other instruments with Nine Inch Nails, Paramore, Angels and Airwaves, and he fronts his own band, The New Regime. Today, we're gonna talk to Elan about these musical projects, what he is up to at the moment, and how it feels to be the youngest inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So let's get to it. Hey, Elon. Welcome to Sarah Hagen Backstage. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. And how are you? I'm good, thanks. And I just want you to know I love that intro. It was Oh, thank you. It was, it was great. Sorry, I just hit my head with a microphone. I forgot it was there. <laughs> but uh love the intro. Very classy. I don't know what it is about an English accent that just feels more sophisticated, but right, uh, right. it was a That's good way us. to start things off. Thank you so much. That was Mark Pusey. I don't know if you know Mark, but um, he I is. I don't, but he has a lovely voice. He really does, right? He, Absolutely. <laughs> he is a fellow drummer. Um, he uh, has played with so many artists. He actually played with um, with um, Ed Sheeran for a while. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, and but he's also a voiceover artist. So it's all locking into place. It makes right? sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for coming on. It's awesome to see your face. It has been so long. Um, and usually around this time of year, we would be hanging out at NAM and catching up in person. But yes. uh, we'll have you know, to it, just settle for that. It's a tough thing because what I've honestly felt that I haven't said out loud is that I think the only good thing to come from COVID is the cancellation of Nam, but not at the expense of not seeing you. So oh, my I, goodness. I, wish, I wish we could do it. Thank you for that. I'm, I'm actually, you know, uh, I think it's, um, it's, it's nice to have a little break. Um, mm -hmm. but I am a fan of like just seeing everybody catching up. I feel like it's this big family reunion every year and like not only the artists, but your friends at other companies and, you know, just like getting to see everyone's face and go to dinner with them and, you know, seeing you and, and Aaron is always a favorite part of mine. So thank you. And likewise, and jokes aside, it's, um, it's, it's a hectic, but essential part of the year. I'm still talking about Nam, of course, yes. but, uh, for those who may not know, I mean, it, it's the, it is the convention for the U S or all things musical instruments and as great as that may sound just picture and visualize what it's like to cram every company in the world into a convention center walk around with the brightest lights above you and try to have conversations with people and um it's not very conducive to that but it is a necessary part of the year somehow right but, um I will say, though, it's never as bad as I make it out to be or as much as I kind of envision it being. But getting to the convention center, leaving the convention center, those are the things that just always leave the bad taste in my mouth. But once I'm there and I see great friends such as yourself, it's like, ah, oh, this isn't that bad. Right, right. You know? it, it is tough to have the conversations with the noise level and like, yeah. you know, especially on a booth, a cymbal booth or a drum booth where yes, people, a lot of people hitting yeah. things and you're, and you want to hear, you know, I want to hear what's happened. What's up with you, Elon, what's going on in your life. And, you know, you have someone smashing a China cymbal right in your, in your ear. It can be tough. And the best part is, is that most of the people making the noise aren't buyers for shops or companies. So they're just hitting stuff for fun. And it's just hilarious. I mean, if you yeah. can just take out the the audio aspect and just look at people hitting cymbals, really trying to get the nuances of all the new instruments, it's like you're not even going to buy it. Well, what are you doing? Just look at it. Look at it from a distance. It's, it's pretty. Quiet. Yeah. It's quieter that way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. But um. But it is. It's so nice to see you though. And Likewise. um. 
Absolutely. Um, so you have had a really incredible year. I know I want to talk to you about all the things kind of going on and kind of go way back and talk a little bit about your history. But, um, you know, 2020, a tough year, a year of transition for a lot of people, a lot of changes in people's lives. Um, and you've had some really kind of actually positive things happen. So um, congratulations on those those positive things. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, you recently got married? So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, big big step. I'm almost officially an adult. Yeah. So um, it's it's been a good thing. I mean, I definitely don't want to make light of 2020 as a year because obviously it's been rough for everybody. I will say that I've been fortunate enough to remain healthy and the same goes for my family. So that's all been positive. I haven't really had any scares of any kind, but it has been interesting adapting to one second anticipating potentially the busiest year I've ever had mm -hmm. to all of a sudden having everything completely wiped off the calendar the next day. And, um, it is what it is. It's not one of those things that I could get upset about because obviously everybody is going through it. But uh, aside from that, it has been a very good year for me. I am married, as you said, which uh, has been great. We did a small little quarantine wedding with just family. And uh, we were initially going to do it sometime this year, but with no end in sight and vaccines just starting to roll out, we thought, we don't know when that's going to happen. So let's just do it now in a way that suits the the current times. And mm -hmm. it ended up being really, really nice. And that was great. And then professionally, I had the honor of being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year with Nine Inch Nails. So like I said, I really can't complain. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have had a, a good year through all of this. And uh, I will say, though, from the very beginning of everything kind of shutting off, I did see the positivity in technically gaining a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I usually find the negativity in everything. But <laughs> I thought, you know what, rather than bitching about not being able to tour or wondering what's going to happen. What can I do right now with a completely open schedule? So I was able to take the time and get into things that I've been wanting to do for a while, like um, studying orchestration, film scoring techniques, and just reading a lot. I like to read, but I'm, I'm one of those people where if I get into a book and it's something I'm, I'm spending a couple hours a day doing, I always think like, okay, maybe I should start using my time a little more um, for some productivity with career stuff, music stuff. But I was like, you know what? I have time. I'm going to read as much as I want about whatever. There you I go. Want. And just yeah. Have some, some have some some me time, if you will. That's but, important, uh, though. You know. It is. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, when everybody is going through the same thing, you kind of lose. Granted, that you're healthy you kind of mm -hmm. lose the right to really complain about anything because I should say healthy and, um, you know, you don't have to worry about too much uh, financially or economically speaking. I don't know. Everybody's mm -hmm. situation's different, but uh, like I said, fortunately I was able to just accept the gift of time and try to make the most of it. Absolutely. And just out of curiosity, what have you been reading? All I've been all over the place to be honest with you. Um, I I was a very good student in school, but I hated reading what was the required curriculum. Mm -hmm. So all the classics that everybody read when they were in high school, middle school or beyond, I just, I never, I wasn't interested at the time. So let's see, I was reading stuff like 1984, Scarlet Letter, Uncle Tom's Cabin, Mice Men, and then some other just Grimm's fairy tales. Mm -hmm. uh, I read Candide, which I enjoyed. Oh, Fables, Aesop's Fables, which is yeah, a fun little read. Yeah. But, uh, just things where I looked at myself and thought, I should have read this, so I'm just going to do it now. 
but uh, Red Badge of Courage. Red Badge of Courage was a good one. And then so kind of going back and forth between classics and history stuff, which is always my favorite. So the first book I read during quarantine was a book about the um, Gothic plague, Black Death, which mm -hmm. I thought was odd, oddly, I don't want to say fitting, but relevant in some kind of way. Right. But, it, it is strange how like the timelines have been similar. Yeah, it, it's, right. it's, it's very strange. And once again, I don't, I don't want to, be seen to make light of anything it's just my brain works where i'm like if this is relevant now would be a good time to read it mm -hmm. so reading about that and that, i'm just all over the place i'm I'm boring your viewers and listeners so. no no that's <laughs> that's fantastic i i um have had more time to read this year as well normally i don't just don't have enough time to read mm -hmm. as much as i'd like and i have a stack of books that's waiting to be read and then what sometimes have you been reading I've been reading a lot of books about business, you know, just about um, successful businesses, um, female owned businesses. So uh, I've been, you know, that's basically what I've been focused on mm -hmm. um, in my small amount of <laughs> free time mm -hmm. for reading. But, um, but yeah, I, I do like, um, in fact, you mentioned Grimm's fairy tales and I have this book. I'll have to find what exactly i think i think the name is strule peter i think it's called but it was a this book of like um german fairy tales and um the incredibly fright frightening fright yeah. <laughs> frightening material but. it is really funny how you if, especially if you read the book in one shot it's like oh princess gets saved and she's in the castle and now she's a queen or it's like i'm gonna eat your children yeah it just, it just goes yes. back and forth <laughs> yeah yeah Exactly. No, that's great, though. I, I'm so glad. I mean, I know, you know, obviously, we we don't want to make light of this past year and everything that every, everyone's gone through. But it, it has been an opportunity, like you said, for people to find the positive mm -hmm. in such a tough situation or or find like glimmers of hope and, you know, situations to um, to do good or to be there for other people. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I am. Um, obviously, uh, wish the best uh, upon everybody who's had a struggle of some kind, either health-wise, financially, whatever it may be, but even for the people who are just very extroverted and have had a hard time with the whole quarantining process. Mm -hmm. Because when people ask me, how are you doing? I'm actually doing quite well in terms of not going outside and seeing people because I usually keep to myself anyway. So it hasn't been the biggest change in my personal day to day, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm either doing this, spending all my time in this room or I'm out on tour. So obviously, without being able to tour, I've just spent more time in this room than usual. But it hasn't been anything that I've had to adapt to. But for the people who love going out and hanging out with other people and meeting new people, I feel for them. Absolutely. I get that a hundred percent. Um, so, so that's what you've been up to. Let's talk mm -hmm. about, um, how you kind of got started with music. And I know, um, that you were super young when you started, uh, playing out, you know, so a lot mm -hmm. of people start playing drums when they're, you know, around eight or 10 years old, but you are like out, I think maybe even on like warp tour or something when you were super young. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I did start around seven and a half, eight years old, but because I was the youngest or am still the youngest of three boys, mm -hmm. you know, three three men, I'd like to think, but um, <laughs> being the youngest of three, the gap between my oldest brother and myself is eight, eight years. So when he was in high school and started his first band, I was eight or nine years old and I played in that band. So I very quickly went from learning how to play to playing in a band. And uh, it was a smooth transition. I, I fortunately picked up the drums very quickly and naturally, but I also had an obsession with it. So from being able to play something to then being able to learn by ear, I just, I, I really excelled within the first couple of years of playing, fortunately. And uh yeah, so when you mentioned Warp Tour, I played my first Warp Tour when I was 11 years old. I think it was one show at Warp Tour 99, but then in 2000 it was a week just around Southern California and surrounding territories. 
And a couple years later, I did a few weeks. But by the time I was 14, I was properly touring to the point where I had to check into homeschooling because wow. the this, this sort of system that the school I went to had was I could go out for three weeks at a time, but I'd have to come back for at least one day to turn in my work and get the next three weeks worth. And obviously I couldn't commit to that because I had a pretty packed schedule, fortunately, and uh, growing up in a very supportive family and very musically supportive parents, they allowed me to tour and, and pursue music as a career from the very beginning as long as I got very good grades. So I, I had a lot, a lot of my shoulders to take care of, but it was a good time. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that taught you a lot of responsibility at a young age too, knowing that like you had these things you had to get done in order to keep, mm -hmm. keep doing what you loved doing. Um, mm -hmm. And then, and then it's great that you had your brothers out there with you, you know, to kind of lead you and protect you and whatever you needed. Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate to grow up with a, a tight-knit family, still tight-knit to this day. And yeah, that's priceless. And as I said earlier, just being in a supportive environment is most conducive to moving forward. Absolutely. And when you started playing um, or started like listening to music and getting into it, I think we have something in common with uh, Led Zeppelin being the, kind, the kind of... Like one of the first, you know, I, I kind of like, I feel like Led Zeppelin was the, the um, soundtrack to my childhood. Every memory that I have that's really distinct, I can just hear Zeppelin playing in the background. Um, mm. And that's so that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of like sound and that tone is something that's always like family to me. And like when I think about music in general, it just bubbles up to the top. Mm, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like a, a broken record saying this, but for those who have no idea who I am or have heard me ramble about Led Zeppelin incessantly, <laughs> they have been my absolute favorite music since I was about eight years old. And it really coincided with my playing as a drummer because my dad, having grown up in the... 60s and playing music and seeing all the legends play when they came through San Diego as a teenager. He that obviously left an impact on him. I mean, that was his music and that was passed on to me. But he said, if you're going to play drums, you got to listen to this. And he, I specifically recall him giving me Led Zeppelin one, actually taking me to get Led Zeppelin one on CD and uh, life changing in the in the truest of of senses is that that really did change my life you know a lot of people say that but it genuinely set me on the path that my life has taken and i just don't think there's there's um i don't think there are four musicians on this planet who blended better and made a a fifth element like like led zeppelin so I can, I mean, you mentioned them and I have the biggest smile on my face. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it ha I just, it, it, there's something in my DNA that uh, Im improves with Led Zeppelin. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, it's magic. It's like a magic recipe, right? <laughs> it, it really is. And I can't get enough of it. I mean, to this day, my wife probably thinks I'm insane because she knows how obsessed I am with Led Zeppelin. But, you know, if she's a, doing something she'll just hear my my phone going off and it's because i'll just go through youtube and find bootlegs that i haven't heard and i just <laughs> i'm listening to the same thing over and over and over again or different versions of it but i love that. i can't i can't get enough i, I hear will. you i hear you and it, it's interesting i hear a lot in you know your your drum setup and you know the, your big drums and big cymbals and your mm. I don't know. I hear like you have such a distinct sound that's so your own, but oh, just there's something about the tone that just brings that out. Like I think about John Bonham and. Well, thank well, you. I mean, it's, it's really funny. I mean, I, I watched, uh, I made my wife watch a song remains the same literally like four days ago because <laughs> she, she, she had never seen it and she'd just heard about how, you know, either boring or self-indulgent. I'm like, it's fantastic. I mean, I get why people don't like it, but I love it. 
But right. anytime I see the the iconic Bonham with the headband and the longer hair and the mustache, I mean, I swear, when I was nine, I was like, that's what I want. I want a long hair and a mustache. But of course, <laughs> at nine, I couldn't do that. I can barely do it now. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, the most important part of my musical life, for sure. Well, we still have time. You still have time to get the headband on and, you know... Yeah, although I think I've gotten to that point of, of maturity where I'm like, you know what? I think that should stay in 1973. A lot of people don't understand that. They're like, that looks great. I'm going to do it now in 2020 yeah. or 2021. It's like, you look like an idiot. Don't do that. Yeah, when you get off your own plane that has your band's name on the side of it, sure, dress like that. But until right. then, I, I would recommend you don't. Exactly, yeah. Yep. Um, and so, like, you know, along the way, you have you met any of the guys or i met john paul jones once and uh i swear i was buzzing from that for like <laughs> two weeks i was like i actually met john paul jones but um and honestly i'm i'm not the and of course it's i'm sure it sounded like a giant cliche to him but you know speaking to you you'll believe me i'm not the type of person to go up to people and just start gushing or whatever. I mean, I have a huge amount of respect for tons of people and their space and mm -hmm. the fact that they've heard this millions of times for decades. So I don't want to just add on to that pile, but considering how important he was to Led Zeppelin is to me. I mean, the, the thing about Led Zeppelin is that it's not just the drums or the songs. It's the fact that for me personally, each one of those musicians is my favorite. So John Paul mm. Jones is my favorite bass player. When I pick up a bass, I play stuff that I've learned from John Paul Jones. And when I'm coming up with parts, I often think about his rhythm and how that worked with the drums. So it wasn't just, oh, you're the bass player in my favorite band. It's mm -hmm. you are my favorite bass player. And um it was a great moment. I mean, it was very bizarre because we were, I was playing the um, Lowlands Festival in the Netherlands with Nine Inch Nails in, I want to say 2013 or 14. It, it, it was one of those two. But anybody who's friends with me knows the level of my obsession. And my friend Brett, who worked with the band, ran in and said, John Paul Jones, is it catering? You need to go right now. And wow. I'm like, I'm like, that's not funny. Don't do that to me. <laughs> like get up right now because he might leave and lo and behold there was john paul jones trying to figure out how to use the espresso machine and i'm like now's my time and all i have <laughs> from it aside from the memory is a very blurry photo of both of our backs but you know what i know it happened and yeah it made, me, it made me very happy that's all you need that's yeah. so great mm -hmm. um you know a lot of people say like oh don't meet your heroes you know and um I, I haven't ever had that experience where I, I met someone that I really looked up to and it was really negative. So, um, you know, I love that you took the opportunity to go and say hi and mm. make that connection because you have to, you know, mm. when it's someone like that who's affected your musical journey so much and just been such an influence, um, yeah. you know, you have to take the opportunity, I think. It's funny because a, a lot of people say what you've said in terms of don't meet your heroes. And that could very well be true. I've right. been very fortunate in the fact uh, that few of my heroes who I have met have been in exceedingly nice beyond what I would have imagined. But I, I, to me, it kind of comes down to what you expect. If you don't expect anything or if you know somebody who has that reputation of maybe being a bit of a dick or mm -hmm. not nice... Mm -hmm. If you go into that scenario expecting it, then you go, well, that's what I expected. But if they're nicer than you thought, then that's always great. You it's know, a pleasant I mean, there, surprise. There certain, yeah, there are certain people who I love musically where I would not be surprised in the slightest if they were just horrible. But if I expected that, there's nothing to get bummed out about. That's very you know. true, right? Keep your expectations at a reasonable level and, yes, you know. Yes, okay. And that could be said yeah. as far as life is concerned. But yes, I agree. I And I agree about life. That's a, that's a good analogy. <laughs> Absolutely. Treat life um, like a hero who might be an asshole. That's, that's the moral <laughs> of the story. 
<laughs> that is a quote that I will yeah. not forget. We're <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of nine inch nails, I mm -hmm. I have to, you know, we have to talk about nine inch nails because um, you know that I've I've been a, a nine inch nails fan since I was a kid, you know, listening mm -hmm. to um Pretty Hate Machine was one of the first um albums that I had, and I was just obsessed mm -hmm. with the whole thing from start to finish. Mm -hmm. Um when I heard that you were going to be in the band, I was so excited just because, you know, what an awesome gig. And then the first time I saw you play, I was just completely in awe because I had no idea. You you had told me that you were playing multiple instruments on stage, but I did not expect to see what I saw. And, you know, there's lots of, you know, fog and smoke and things. So you're behind this kind of cloud of, of um, of fog, but I could see you just like moving from one thing to the next and you were on the drums and you were on keys and you were playing bass, I think. And I was just like, oh, oh my gosh, like, how is this happening? How is he doing all this? And it was so fantastic. Well, thank you. Um, uh, honestly, if I were just the drummer in Nine Inch Nails, that would be more than enough. And that's certainly, that's my title within the band, but <laughs> Trent has been, he certainly was the first, but he's been somebody who has appreciated my other skill sets and talents. And the reason why I mentioned that is something that's very important to me is that in bands prior to that, which were obviously much lesser, you had these egos that were threatened by my abilities elsewhere and it was kind of like you stick to the drums don't pick mm. up the guitar don't pick up the bass not that i ever expected to do that stuff on stage but generally speaking it for whatever reason made people feel insecure but upon joining nine inch nails and showing trent uh, at the time my what was going to be my first new regime release uh, he was impressed with it, and I, I suppose my abilities, and utilized them. And it was great to say, okay, so you can play piano, you can play this, you can play that. Um, what if you did this during that song? Or what if during March of the Pigs, you played the piano and ran back to the drums? What if you played guitar on this, or whatever it may be? And as the years progressed, and we went from one cycle to the next, he kind of just kept piling on to those <laughs> responsibilities. And I love them it's something that makes nine inch nails incredibly exciting and fulfilling especially from one show to the next because if there's ever been a band that is capable of changing things very drastically from one night to the next it's nine inch nails and not just me but each of us on stage have to carry an additional responsibility of making that versatility and variety possible. So I recall on the Tension Tour in 2013, Pino Palladino, who is a, an exceptional bass player, obviously, I mean, the, the guy's legendary, but he played on the Hesitation Marks album. And to make that tour something unlike any other, the band was expanded to an eight person lineup, I believe. And he came in on bass and because the bass was so important to the songs off of that album, when the tour continued the following year, we still needed to play those songs. He came up to me and said, do you think that you can play these songs on bass? And my answer was, yes, I can. I'll get the stems and I will learn them. And I'm not, I'm certainly not comparing myself to, to Pino in any way, because that guy has an unbelievable feel that is only he can do. Mm -hmm. But um, the fact that he would, that Trent would come up to me and say, can you play these bass parts? I said, yes. And then we rehearsed them. And there, that is now part of my responsibility to play bass on these songs live. It's just always exciting. And that has extended itself to acoustic guitar on one bridge of one song to piano here and there to even some cello stuff. And that was a challenge that came out of nowhere, but um, I'm not one to, to back away from a challenge. So Trent actually got me lessons that would take place after rehearsals. Wow. And I, and I learned, uh, I'm certainly no 
virtuoso, but um, I learned what I needed to learn and it was, it was great. I had no idea that um, you weren't, you know, just a cellist, you know? Like, <laughs> no, it, it's funny because a lot of people know that I play piano and they assume that maybe that was my first instrument. And then mm -hmm. no, I wanted to go do something cool and play drums. And it was the complete opposite where I started as a drummer. And as I grew up, I was like, I really want to learn how to play the piano. I mean, it, and um, I have an in, in a huge interest because of my love of classical music. And I use classical as a very broad term, but um, I just love any kind of classical instrumentation. So, I mean, I'd love to spend all the time in the world learning and playing more. In fact, at the beginning of this quarantine, I bought myself a clarinet because I was like, you know what? I don't play any sort of wind instrument. But then after doing that for three or four days, I was like, I should probably use <laughs> my time better. And I love that though. It's that's that's a trap I always run into. I'm like, now I have time. And then I use it and I think I should use my time better. That That's fantastic. I mean, it's, um, I, the clarinet, I can't, I can't imagine doing it, making a transition into clarinet from, um, <laughs> you know, drum, drums or string instruments. But um, I did well, just funny, see. You would know that Trent is a great sax player. And um, really? a, lot, a lot of people are surprised by that. But, and I, I certainly was when I found out, but um, there was some saxophone in the last few releases that he did. And on the last on the 2018 run, maybe a bit on the 2013-14 run, he kind of brought that out from the shadows and, and played sax on stage, but he does a great job. I was like, you know what? I don't play any kind of woodwind or brass instrument. So I thought, the more you know. You know, right. I, I think yeah. that's great. I, I think that uh, I think you can do it. You know, you keep keep at it. <laughs> <laughs> the flute, I'll, I'll I think, right. The, I think the flute is that one instrument that I'm like, I don't think I could ever, you know, master the flute. It just seems like Do you play at all the, the flute or is this just no. like an elusive instrument that you, just, you're yeah, just thinking. Yeah, just thinking about instruments in general, like wind and and brass instruments, and I feel like that's just um, I don't know, like that just seems elusive to me. But well, I think um, you should try it. It can't hurt. You know what? Maybe in the free time, I'm going to stop my reading and my <laughs> my small amount of free time. And I'll as you know, as you know, by visiting Nam so many times, there is a whole industry of cheap instruments for band kids who are going to quit in three months. So you can probably get one for like 90 bucks and just have at it. I might, I might just try that. And yeah. I did, I did just see um, an Instagram post by Benny Greb. Mm. I don't know if you saw that with him playing trumpet. And I was I did like, not, but I, I will go look it up. Check that out. It, he mm. was really good. I'm like, yeah. I hidden talent. I had no idea about, um, but yeah, the it's it's amazing though. I love that you're just like, well, try the clarinet. Um, yeah. But um, you know, we we've talked a lot about how like your passion for music has just it's it's kind of taken over your life. Like that's what that is your passion, you know. And we did um, a few years back. We did we filmed a, a project that hasn't seen the light of day yet, but maybe it will at some point. Maybe one um, day. And it, it was talking to drummers and filming drummers about, um, you know, learning more about their passions and what they're into. And I remember talking to you about the concept on the phone and it was yeah. the funniest conversation because I explained in the, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to come to San Diego and film you. And you were like, yeah, but like it, music yeah, is my thing. It's about your other interests outside of music. It's like, yes. What other interests? I don't know what you're talking about. But exactly. But yeah, yeah. You're like, that is my interest. That is my passion. So that's all I do, which at the time was we were like, well, then that's what we're going to film. That's what we're going to talk about is that your passion for music is the thing, the thing that yeah. like kind of rules your life. But then after that, uh, maybe a year later, I saw you at a, a show in Boston mm -hmm. and we were hanging out after the show and chatting and catching up and the topic of tennis came up. Yes. And I have to bring yes. this up because I, I was just like, what, what are you into? And you're like, no, I'm really into tennis. Yeah. I'm still really into tennis. I mean, that, that's going to stick with me for the rest of my life. That's going to be one of those things that I 
really wish that I picked up sooner in life, but better late than never. And I absolutely love it. I don't care about sports, to be honest with you, but tennis is an incredible sport game on so many levels. It's obviously physically demanding, mm -hmm. but it, it's very strategic and cerebral. And I enjoy the one-on-one -on -one aspect where it's like the, the best man or woman wins. Whereas with team sports and being from San Diego, I've seen the city just be disappointed every Sunday for a Chargers game, for example. And I found it hilarious because I'm like, you know, they're going to lose. Somebody on the team <laughs> is going to blow it because it's the Chargers or the Padres or whoever. If anyone from San Diego is watching and, and is just taking in my negativity for San, San Diego team sports, they'll either agree or they'll be mad because they agree. But, but still <laughs> the team sport, you, it, Hey, if everybody wins, great. But if somebody blows it for everybody else, everybody's got to take the loss. So mm -hmm. as far as tennis goes, I love that one-on-one -on -one aspect where you have to figure out how to beat the other person. It's not, it's not just a matter of who's a better player, which obviously that'll lead to a victory, but mm -hmm. everyone has their strong suits and their weaknesses and, and the strategic, almost chess-like strategy of figuring out how to take advantage and what kind of traps to set. I mean, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's it's a great game and it, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But I initially picked it up as a form of exercise because I hate exercising, like working out. I mean, clearly it's, you know, it's not like I'm in the gym ever, but I hate it. And um, I thought, you know what, I should do some more exercise. But um, tennis seemed fun because I enjoyed watching matches with my dad. I mean, he's he always he still watches matches, but... Uh, mm -hmm. growing up, I always recall him on the couch watching a tennis match. So I, I began to enjoy watching them. I thought, you know what, this would be fun to actually get into. Mm -hmm. And my obsessive nature led me to becoming obsessed with tennis. So, yeah. And I, I agree with exactly what you said, you know, you're kind of responsible for yourself yeah. in the game of tennis and, you know, kind of like sizing up your opponent and what their strengths and, and weaknesses are. Um, and then kind of making moves from there. It is, it is pretty chess like. Yeah. I, um, couldn't, I couldn't imagine being a soccer player or a football player, both American football and global football, but playing a great game. And then the goalie lets one pass and you're like, I know after everything I did, you just let that ball go. Right. That's or, hard. Hey, it's leading up to this field goal and you missed it. I mean, it's it's just painful. That it is. It you is know. painful. I like to watch team sports. I, I was, you know, I took the music route in school, so I, I wasn't in, in any sports. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's so interesting about tennis. And you were very serious about it. I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> this is serious. Yeah. Um, do you get to play when you're out on tour? Do you have any, like, band members who you can play with or crew members? I have actually been able to play a good handful of times. Um, it's something I would love to do more consistently, but as you know, when you tour, it's kind of hard unless it's a day off to find yeah. the time and the place to do it. And even then finding the place to do it can be very difficult. Um, True. My parents kind of version of a vacation is picking somewhere I am in the world and watching the show. I mean, they've seen more nine inch nail shows than probably anybody. It's, it's crazy, but they love it. And um, I love them coming out and watching, but that was tennis was something we took advantage of because my parents went to Europe a couple of years ago when I was out there last. And it was awesome to play in all these different cities and all these different surfaces and it was just awesome. I put playing tennis in Hyde Park or on top of some mountain in Zurich. And it was just awesome. I loved it. Uh, David Kennedy from Angels and Airwaves and I played. And unfortunately, I lost. But that guy's like 6'6 and has a <laughs> wingspan of like 20 feet. So once he gets up to the net, it's, it's game over usually. But uh, yeah. And then a lot of friends on the crew in Nine Inch Nails were tennis players. So I was able to get some games together, but the hardest part about tennis is finding somebody to play with. Yeah. You know, so I, 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 wish imagine. I, play, I wish I could play a lot more, but it's difficult. 
You might like boxing. That's kind of a similar where you're responsible for yourself and there's a lot of strategy involved. I feel like I'd get so pissed getting punched in the face. <laughs> and then I would start like just doing it out of anger and then technique and strategy would go out the window and then I'd yeah. get hit more and then it would just, it wouldn't go well. But I've, yeah. been I've heard it's great exercise and I'd certainly rather box than, I don't know, plank. Right. <laughs> I did just have a visual though, because you may Don't be able blanking. to bring you may be able to bring back the the bottom look in tennis. You could have the red bandana, and uh, that could be your signature, you know, tennis style. Something okay. like that. You know, you it's know. something to consider. Yeah. Something to consider. <laughs> um, probably um, end up looking more like a brunette Bjorn Borg or something, but <laughs> you, know, you never know. It would be entertaining either way. Um, so then let's talk about something else that you are really into and passionate about, which is your drum company. And yeah. I am loving the posts. I think you just posted uh, about, was it a bell brass or cast, cast bronze? Yeah, cast bronze yeah. snare drum. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, yes, I have been a co-owner and partner in Q Drum Co. for, ooh, I don't know, eight years now maybe probably around eight years now, maybe a little bit more, a little less, but I do struggle personally with the self-promotion, you know, and it's not something I like to constantly put out there and, and bombastically approach people with, but um, Jeremy and Max at the company, Jeremy's my partner. He actually mm -hmm. started the company, but um, they just make phenomenal stuff. And the drums are incredible. Snare drums have been kind of varying more and more into different types of materials and production techniques. And the, the company is just fantastic. And it's something that I, I, I wish I could just get out there more and more and more. But for whatever reason, I kind of have some sort of modesty or don't want to appear a certain way in, in terms of you know, shameless promotion, which so many people are good at these days. And it's a skill, but um, yeah, I just, I'm glad you mentioned it though. But yeah, I mean, I made a post the other day of this Casperon snare drum that is fantastic. And I've used it on a few sessions lately. But um, for those who don't know, uh, I, I would, uh, I'd comfortably say that Q Drum Co is probably known as the boutique company who makes drums out of various metals, you know, whether it be mm -hmm. copper, stainless steel, brass, galvanized steel. But what makes them so unique is the fact that it isn't quite that simple. The shells are rolled out of these materials, but um, there are maple reinforcement hoops on the top and bottoms with perfectly cut bearing edges so you have the heads sitting on wood but resonating through these metals and it makes one material to the next sound very different and they're very exciting but people are always kind of taken aback as to how warm and and precise they sound they're very focused mm -hmm. but um i'm very proud of the drums and i do have we, we make plenty of wood kits i have a couple of mahogany kits which is my favorite wood material as of now and has been for for a good while but uh, yeah, I have a, a mahogany kit that I picked up a few weeks ago, and that's kind of become my sort of jack of all trades session kit. But um, I actually just got a shipment in today from Remo of different heads that I wanted to try, and I will go to a space next week and set up and just have a good time, which is, is not something I've, I've done in a while. I can't play real drums at home, unfortunately, because neighbors would become homicidal, which is why I have these V-drums back here. But um I only use them for for songwriting and demoing because I just kind of go USB out of the interface into the computer and I get to use all these great sound libraries like mm -hmm. um, Addictive Drums by XLN is something that I've really enjoyed. Uh, Superior Drummer 3 by Track is great. But anyway, I digress. But actually, you know, I, I mentioned Track not too long ago, I was kind of scrolling through presets and different snare drums. Cause often when you go through preset kits, 
on software, you'll like most of it, but you might want to swap out the bass drum or the snare drum. And I ended mm -hmm. up kind of toggling through things. I'm like, this snare drum sounds great. 14 by eight copper key drum co. And I was like, wow. Yay! Great. How great is that? That's yeah. like the ultimate, you yeah. know, yes, I did it. You know, <laughs> it was, it was really cool. But like I said, I don't build. Uh, in fact, the one time I tried to help, I think I stripped a screw and slowed down the process, but Jeremy and Max build phenomenal drums. And I mean that, and I'm very proud of the company. And, um, we've established a, a great reputation. We're just mm -hmm. at that point where we're growing and growing, but to really get to the next level and say, invest in a bigger space or different machinery, we're, we're having to kind of figure out the financial strategy for that, you know, mm -hmm. as you know with, um, especially during all of this. Absolutely. People yeah. Not really uh, in the market to just go buy a drum set right now, but somehow business has been somewhat positive. And uh, yeah, we're making great stuff and I'm very proud of it. Absolutely. And you should be. And I think, you know, when it comes to the the self-promotion thing, I know that's hard, um, mm. but you do you do it in a really authentic way. You know, this is what you're playing. This is what you're into. And I think people really want to see that. So, mm. you know, does, don't hesitate to share when it comes to that <laughs> stuff, because it's, it, you know, all of all of us gearheads out there get excited about it. Mm. So, well, thank you. But Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, talking about the, the creative process, I, I'm imagining how your ideas and your sound thoughts and your sizes and everything kind of go into that process. Um, so maybe mm -hmm. you're not like actually assembling things, but, um, you know, just having that experience of working with artists and listening to what they need sound wise, seeing that mm -hmm. created into a product that's you know, your, your piece of that puzzle is essential, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, what, what's great is that Jeremy and Max have the know-how of when somebody says, this is what I'm looking for. And mm -hmm. they will know how to translate that into either bearing edge angles or choice of material, depths, so on and so forth. I mean, fortunately, I know what I like as a result mm -hmm. of having played drums for most of my life. But it's an incredible skill set that they have in knowledge of the instrument. Because look, to be completely honest with you, I think the drums, as far as construction is concerned in the instrument, are probably the most boring in the sense that they have not changed much in a very long time. It is a cylinder and there's a piece of plastic on top of it that is tightened until it sounds decent. <laughs> but it wasn't until I saw what Jeremy was doing with these metals. And at that point, the first kit he built was made out of galvanized steel. And you look at it or you have this preconceived notion of what it may sound like. But when you actually sit down and play them, mm. it wasn't what you were expecting. And it leaves a sort of imprint on you as this is something special. This is not just a gimmick. And unfortunately, because the construction of drums is relatively simple, you have so many nonsense companies out there whose forte is outrageous finishes and bizarre things. And um, initially being, for example, an OCDP artist for my, since I was about 12 years old until Q Drum Co. I mean, they were, they were the, the beginning of extreme sort of custom, custom. drum design. And, mm -hmm. and they were the forerunners of that and they did a great job when perhaps the company kind of fell out of the limelight in some way or just naturally so many competitors rose to the surface almost everybody just stole their playbook and mm. that lost its its appeal so you have all these companies out there who all they try to do is to do something that's striking to the eye but it doesn't really have it where it counts. And mm. that being said, you can have a lot of great custom drum makers who don't care about the aesthetic and they just make great drums that look like drums. Q Drum Co. and what Jeremy is doing with the metal, I mean, they look incredible. Just as a plain kit. I mean, if you look at a plain copper kit, they look mm -hmm. beautiful, whether they're brushed or they're um, high, you know, polished, they look great. 
but the fact that he can take it beyond that and do all these incredible things with patinas and hybrids of, of all these designs, metal inlays on wooden drums, just very subtle, classy things where they, they make you look at them and you appreciate the detail, but it, it do, it's not just a, about shock factor mm -hmm. and, um, you know. So I just, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your your routines one one of the uh the things that i thought was such a great um kind of pre-show warm-up routine was your beatles book um oh, yeah yeah so, all that fun stuff i love that i don't know if you'll well, talk a little to clarify. bit about it's good to clarify because i don't want people to think that right before i go on stage with nine inch nails that i'm singing beatles songs in the background <laughs> with my acoustic guitar but um <laughs> I right directly before right before yeah, you walk right, out like, onto the stage I literally do it I hand the guitar off and I yes. run to the drums no <laughs> but uh yeah I mean with with the new regime being the singer and guitar player and harmony being an important part of that I mean it's great to warm up your voice and mm -hmm. scales and all that stuff is fun but it's not as fun as just singing so I like to start that way with the technical exercises for a little bit and then I just love picking up a guitar and then kind of picking a few songs that slowly increase in range just to mm. kind of wake up the voice and whatever but like I said new regime there are a lot of three-part harmonies so I wrangle the other guys into singing with me and I'm sure they have fun I'm sure part of them hate me because of it but <laughs> it's great just go oh what song has a good three-part harmony and I'm moving away from the, the Beatles repertoire here, but like, oh, Fat Bottom Girls, that'd be funny. Let's do it. It's fun. And yeah. we sing that three-part harmony. It's great. Oh, what other Queen songs are there? Let's learn the We Are the Champions harmonies. And uh, we are the, yeah, and it's, it's so much fun, but it's great because it also teaches you the way these great harmonies were constructed. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people don't realize is that it's not like, oh, if you're a good singer, you're good at singing in harmony because that's not necessarily the case. What is interesting about harmony is that your ears have to listen to your pitch and to the other person's pitch. Mm -hmm. And it's just a good exercise, both vocally and um, orally. What would we say? Yeah. Your ears. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there we go. orally, so, exactly. So, um, and especially as a three-part harmony, you're really kind of finding your way in there and it's a good discipline because let's say, so for example, Rob Ketchum, who plays drums with me in the new regime, and I have the highest voices. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, he can do all my borderline obnoxiously high harmonies. And Campbell, who's been playing bass for the last year and a half or so, he has a sort of lower to mid-range voice. So whenever I kind of distribute parts to these guys, I go, okay, you get the mid one or the low one, I'll take the mid to low and Rob will do the high one. But it's an interesting exercise when you swap those harmonies around, mm -hmm. you then have to sing something else and your ear will often go towards what you're used to singing. So it's just a good discipline. And um, I don't know, I feel like singing in harmony with other people is sort of like a, a lost art form and in popular music unfortunately i i agree absolutely i think that's yeah. you know um besides drums um the the lyrics and the vocals are always something that i'm drawn to mm -hmm. and so whenever i hear something that has great harmony there's just something you know that kind of like pulls me in to that mm -hmm. yeah. um and, and i agree and i think you know something you said earlier about the classical music mm -hmm. Also, like just thinking about the bands that we've talked about in this conversation and bands we've talked about in the past, um, all have instrumentation that is, it's all, it might be rock music, but it's almost orchestral. There's mm -hmm. something orchestral about it, right? Yeah. Um, I saw Led Zeppelin, oh, I, I saw Page and Plant, I should say. I did not see Led Zeppelin. What, I saw what, year, <laughs> what year did you see them? Was it 98? It was in 90. I want to say 96, maybe. Okay. But yeah, mm -hmm. um, maybe it was 98. I'm not sure. 
Um, I, I but believe they played in 95 and 98 and, you know, 95 okay. could have gone into 96. And yeah. I, saw, I saw them in, in 98 and I, I, I told you this, but I did see Led Zeppelin in 07 or yes. the, clo the closest thing to at the right. 02, but, but continue. I'm sorry. Amazing. No, I just wanted to say that they played the Boston Garden and it was, um, they played with the Boston Symphony Orchestra and it was amazing because oh, I was really cool. Yes, absolutely. And I was just kind of like, you know, I was a teenager and just kind of like starting in my own band and um, to hear like that orchestration and this rock music and, you know, the violins, it was just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the music that I'm drawn to, even if it's rock or heavy music or progressive or metal, you know, it, it always, there's always a symphony of sounds in it. Um, mm -hmm that that draws yeah. me in did you see them with what would have been that sort of unleaded thing that they did for mtv like what was it broken down or was it like full-on rock band with the orchestra? it was rock full-on rock band yeah, yeah. awesome yeah i'm trying to up. i'm going to have to look it up because it's going to drive me crazy it was one of the first concerts i ever went to actually i think it was maybe like 15 or something um mm. so good though um, but yeah, I just, that's I think awesome. that's a really good tip though, about warming up your voice, um, mm -hmm. you know, using that, you know, vocal harmony idea, um, and queen, of course, like oh, so fantastic. Yes. So yeah, <laughs> I remember growing up and not realizing that so many of those songs that I loved as a kid were queen, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I would hear a song and you know, who's that? Oh, that's queen. Oh my gosh. That's queen too. You know? And what's, um, what's amazing about them vocally is you could listen to other great harmonies from other bands, whether it be the Beatles or beach boys. And if you listen to the vocals, acapella, they still sound great. I'm not knocking them in any way, but you can mm -hmm. hear, you're like, Ooh, that's not as on as I thought it was, you know, <laughs> without the surrounding music. Mm -hmm. Queen could not have been more precise. It's unbelievable how precise they were. Yes. It, it like technology couldn't have made it any better. It's un unbelievable. Absolutely. And I can't get enough of it. Did you see the, um, what was the name of the documentary? I forget the documentary ish movie. Recently. Uh, the, the historically false. Yes. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> movie. You know what pissed me off about that movie? What was that? that um, the thing that would have been the hardest to get, Rami Malek did a great job. You know, I'm like, wow, mm -hmm. good for mm -hmm. you. Great job. Yeah. The first thing goes like, who the hell is going to play Freddie Mercury? And they yeah. did that. And then there was just so much that was historically wrong about it. And it bummed me out because I knew too much. Now, mm -hmm. that obviously hindered my ability to treat the movie solely as a movie. And I know it wasn't a documentary, but mm -hmm. I throughout the whole thing, I was just like, why are you playing that song on stage on a tour that was three years before the song came out? <laughs> or why are you saying you did this when you didn't do it until a few years later? Just the whole, the whole thing chronologically was sure. wrong and it was driving me nuts. Now, conversely, when I saw uh, rocket man, Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I really like Elton John, but I don't know nearly as much about his history as I do other people. So I was kind of able to just watch it and not critique or, or judge what was right or wrong. That's why I'm well aware that the Bohemian Rhapsody movie could deserve more credit than I'm giving it. I gave Rami Malek all the credit in the world. Right. As a movie, I'm like, why did you guys do that? Yeah. Why? That didn't help the story at all. In fact, I thought that their real story would have been way more interesting. Right. Why not you know? just tell the real story, right? Yeah. Um, the one thing that I did enjoy about that movie was um, the glimpse into the songwriting process. And who mm -hmm. knows how accurate that part of it was. But mm -hmm. the, you know, sequestering in a, in a, um, a house, you know, away, away from everyone and the, you know, the, the, um, yeah. you know, adding parts to it and all of that, I thought was, you know, it was interesting, not from a historical perspective, but just from like a con conceptual mm -hmm. perspective, but.
Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of other things that were bothering me about it. Like <laughs> we'll I not think, talk about that. <laughs> I think when they were coming up with with We Will Rock You in this movie, Freddie Mercury had already made the mustache transformation. I'm like, guys, you're like three years off. Okay. That wasn't how it happened. <laughs> okay. Or, so whoever wants to make an accurate actual documentary style movie, they need to talk to you clearly. Yeah, Brian you, May and it, Roger Taylor obviously don't know what actually happened, so right. they need to talk to me so that I can be like, guys, you didn't tour South America until 81 yeah. or 82. It's just Are you, you're not remembering correctly. Yeah, yeah. mustache but, is off. We need yeah. to yeah. make up. <laughs> what I will say, like, because I mentioned, I think their real story was more interesting. They had a thing in there where, uh, the name is slipping my mind right now, but... Um, Elton John's manager became their manager. And mm -hmm. in the movie, if I recall correctly, it was like, Elton John's manager is going to manage us now. Yay. Right. But really what happened is they, they signed this bizarre sort of production deal where they ended up getting screwed. And as they were becoming a big band and globally successful by sheer heart attack, they didn't have any money. So mm. they got this guy to basically bail them out of the deal. I, had to, I think they had to pay about a hundred thousand pounds or whatever it was to get out of this deal. But that guy, and, and unfortunately the name is slipping my mind, but he said, I will deal with the business. You guys do the best album that you can possibly do. And that was a night at the opera. That is an interesting story. That you is. Know, rather than the fairy tale. Now we're on our way boys. Yeah. But, you know, what can you do? Yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. I know it kind of was Hollywoodized, I guess, mm -hmm. but. Yeah. If that's a word. What can you do? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can call Ilan Rubin and have an accurate movie yes. done, right? Yes, absolutely. That's what needs to happen. Whoever's out there listening, you know, yep. make the call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, just just to talk about rock while we're on the rock and roll subject. Sure. The rock and roll hall of fame. Mm -hmm. What an incredible I, you know. When I heard of the news, I was just like so incredibly excited. And I think it was one of those things like, don't say anything. It hasn't been announced yet. Um, mm -hmm. and, but I was like jumping around because I was so excited because Thank it's you. just yeah. super cool. I have to say, uh, and this is looking at it in the very short term, but professionally speaking, that more than made up for the horrible year of 2020. Right. Um, and like I said, that's just professionally speaking. Um, but looking at it in the long term, it, it was something it was a a a lofty goal that I had for myself. Of course, a lot of people say, oh, one day I want to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yeah. for what it's worth. But all of my heroes are in and it's something I've known about since I was a kid. And I always thought that would be a great thing to accomplish. I didn't think. I do it at 32 or be the youngest ever or whatever it is. But, and I honestly didn't expect to be in my, in myself because I've, I've been fortunate enough to be with nine inch nails for about 11 years now, but 11 out of the 30, 31 years that nine inch nails has been around. I mean, nine inch nails is Trent. So I wouldn't have been surprised at all if it was just him being inducted, but he and management felt very strongly that a handful of people should be inducted along with him and they fought for it. And I distinctly remember getting the call. I mean, granted it was only like six months ago, but still of Trent saying, I got some good news for you. I'm like, well, that's a refreshing change. What is it? Well, you're personally being inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame. Congratulations. And that was amazing. And I've got my, you can't really see it, but I got a, my piano's over here and I have the, the trophy up on top of it. And I always it catches my eye and I go, that's awesome. But uh, I am proud of it for what it's worth. And um, it does feel to be an honor. So it's yeah, I'm happy about it. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's an incredible honor. I'm so happy for you and it's so deserved. And, you know, I definitely, um, I, I wish that it could have been one of those in-person, you know, rock and roll induction ceremonies yeah. that I know you were looking forward to. And I know we yeah. talked a little bit about that, um, but I'm sure that it feels 
so fantastic just to have that honor. And like you said, to be able to look up at that and, mm. you know. Yeah, it's, um, it is unfortunate that it wasn't the typical scenario that you envision, which is all the bands in some room somewhere and either playing together or at least everyone playing in turn. And it's okay. Obviously this is an unprecedented year for, for us, everybody, but it was tough because the initial call I got about Nine Inch Nails being inducted was in January. Mm -hmm. So the hall of fame ceremony was supposed to be sometime in May, I believe. And then that got pushed and it was originally going to be in Cleveland. And they were talking about potentially doing it in LA. And then eventually it just said, okay, we can't do it. It's going to be a documentary type thing. And that's that. But mm -hmm. uh, how could you possibly complain about being inducted, but not being able to play? I mean, it's, it's, it's an honor nonetheless. So I'm, I'm very happy about it. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ilan. I so appreciate your time. And, um, you know, I'm I'm happy for you that these really positive things have happened in your life and your career um, recently. And I look forward to, you know, the future. Are, do you um, do you know anything that's coming up for you as far as time frame wise? I know everything everything's kind of been pushed again this year, but um, are there any tentative future plans happening? There are a lot of tentative future plans happening. I think it just they will only be able to unfold depending on the state of the world. So I'm once again, keeping myself busy in this room, but um, yeah, I mean, my solo music angels and airwaves is in the process of, or has been in the process for a decent amount of time now finishing up an album and mm -hmm. I'm still learning all the things that I've wanted to learn and applying that to what I do on a daily basis. So I'm definitely well occupied, but uh, in terms of anything that I can really discuss, we'll have to see what the world is looking like in five or six months. Absolutely. We'll have to stay tuned and we will be looking forward to your clarinet solo on the next Nine Inch Nails tour. You know, with the right <laughs> amount of fuzz, I think it might work. <laughs> Distorted yeah. clarinet. That Absolutely. could be, right? Yeah, it could clarinet. be a thing. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't it. go, if it doesn't go as planned, I can just break it. That is and, true. And that'll just work as well. Snap it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank and you, you take care and hopefully we'll be seeing each other in person again soon. I hope so. Sooner than later. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. Join us each Tuesday for new episodes of Sarah Hagen Backstage.